Welcome to Amadon Planet. I'm your host, Joel Amadon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to learn how to teach better. Today on episode 91 of the podcast, we've got Dr. Jennifer Osuna, Associate Professor in the Graduate School of Education at Stanford University. Yeah, Stanford. <laughs> Amazing. So we're going to be talking about the article that she co-wrote with her co-authors, Emma Gargrazzi, Jen Munson, and Rosa Chavez, which is called Exploring the Role of Off-Task Activity on Students' Collaborative Dynamics, which can be found in the Journal of Educational Psychology. So typically we don't do research articles on the podcast unless they're my research articles, then I guess it's just because it's self-serving. But uh, this one, this article was forwarded to me by uh, a listener uh, and, and a guest, uh, a guest a couple times on the podcast, um, Christy Livingston. Uh, who came on to talk about high-quality instructional materials. We want to have her on again because she's been featured in Ed Reports. But anyway, um, Christy forwarded me this article and said, hey, have you read this? This is kind of amazing. I think you should have Dr. Osuna on as a guest. And I'm like, hey, did you know that I know her? I actually know Jen and know Jenny, and uh, we've done some work together. And so I sent an email out and said, hey, would you come on and talk to me about this article because after I read it, I was like, holy cow, this is kind of amazing. Lots of awesome findings from this research project that are not only think have implications for the math classroom, but for classrooms in general, but just also, you know, we kind of get to in the conversation, but for life in general, <laughs> a little bit. And so um, glad that uh, she's willing to come on to talk and share this work and share all the I mean, this work is just one example of a number of pieces that have come off this research project that she touches on. And so uh, just glad that she's willing to share her time and expertise. So without further delay, here's my conversation with Jenny Osuna about her article, Exploring the Role of Off-Task Activity on Students' Collaborative Dynamics, again, from the Journal of Educational Psychology. Welcome to Amadon Planet. Jenny, how are you? Hi, Joel. I'm doing really well, and I'm really excited to be on your podcast. So thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm just excited to have you. Uh, it's been it's been a while since we've had a conversation, and sometimes I say in this podcast that the nice thing about it is it's the excuse to have a conversation. So thanks yeah, for joining me. Definitely, definitely. I look forward to it. And what's cool is, uh, you know, we've known each other b before this conversation, which I feel blessed to have that connection. But then also, uh, I was... Uh, interacting over email with a former student and colleague and she uh and and listener of my the podcast she's like oh my goodness you should read this article i think this author this lead author would be a great person to have on your podcast have you ever heard and then she said your name and i'm like yeah yeah i know jenny <laughs> that's awesome oh i love hearing that yeah it's been really one of my my favorite papers uh this was a, a really fun study to do for sure yeah. So I'm glad that folks are liking it. Yeah. Well, I'm like, and so we're, we're going to get into it. We'll get in on the sure. nuts and bolts of it. But like from, uh, you know, currently right now I'm advising a lot of doctoral students. We're like finishing the home stretch of, uh, you know, some dissertations or some folks are heading into, you know, proposing a dissertation. And so we're kind of in this middle ground here. And like, what's cool about this from a research perspective, it almost feels like, like I could go and with the amount of detail you put in, go mm -hmm. in and do this research in another context. So that seems, it's pretty exciting. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, but so got ahead of ourselves there. So I'm already gushing over the research saying people are like, man, how nerdy are you going to get on this one, Joel? But, <laughs> but no, we appreciate you coming on to talk about it. But before we get into that, can you share a bit about yourself and your role or roles in teaching? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I am an associate professor of education at Stanford, and I teach in a few different programs, including our teacher education program. Um where I teach our elementary cohort about instructional methods in elementary math. And um, I also work with some of the classroom teachers that our teacher candidates learn from. Um, so there's kind of a, a nice connection uh, there between teaching in that program and some of the research that I do in professional development. And then I'm involved in a few other kind of teacher training initiatives um, on campus. And and um, so how did this this project and this article uh, exploring the role of off-task activity on students' collaborative dynamics. How did that, how did this article come to be? Yeah, so this article I think has a has a kind of cool origin story, Love and it. it actually begins with um, a group of um, cooperating teachers from our from our teacher education program reaching out to me. This was you know many years back about the work that our teacher candidates were doing in their math classroom, um, uh, which reminded them uh, of like readers and writers workshop in literacy, where mm. it was collaborative and it was student led. Um, and they wanted support on how to do it themselves, like what they were seeing our teacher candidates doing. They wanted support on how to do it in their classroom. And so from there, um, we ended up creating a, 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 a study where we supported teachers in um, implementing some collaborative inquiry math units, and then we would videotape their classrooms and, and analyze what was going on. Um, and one of the key ways that we supported teachers, we did a few things, but one of the ways was we would bring in video clips, because we, we were taking video, yeah. of their students engaging in these collaborative tasks, like they were in group work or they were in partner work when the teacher wasn't present, you know, the teacher's kind of like walking around from group to group. Um, and we would have them watch these clips and then really kind of reflect and discuss with one another what they noticed their students and what other students were doing to try to collaborate with one another. Like what efforts were they bringing into the work? Um, how might teachers build on these efforts that they were noticing? What were the struggles? How might they address these struggles? And then they would go out and try things out in their classrooms and we'd get to follow it and, and study it. And so this particular analysis kind of comes from two sources. One was, so this is this is from one of these classrooms. Nice. And one was, um, so the work with teachers where they were really kind of getting to know from this like asset lens, what are students doing when they're collaborating with each other, kind of watching these videos. Uh, one of the big takeaways from their own discussions was recognizing for themselves how earnest students really were in their attempts like to connect with and work with their peers and how many times this social dimension of play or imagination was part of these efforts. And they would kind of be like, oh, now that I think back, like I would get really frustrated, but I'm realizing, right? So, so that was one yeah. thing that was kind of like in the background for us uh, on the research team. But then kind of more specifically, kind of getting into the nerdiness of it, we were working on this other analysis for this other paper um, that was attending to how students in group work 
shifted in their power dynamics while they were working together, which we were calling these distributions of authority. So sometimes one kid would really take over and we called that concentrated authority. Sometimes multiple kids were contributing and we called that shared authority. Sometimes they were just like bidding for control and it wasn't quite getting anywhere. We called that contested authority. And sometimes they just weren't doing math and we called that disbanded. Mm. We were interested in that paper to find out how kids got to shared authority. You know, what derailed them? And if they were derailed, how did they come back to shared authority? We're trying to like to figure that out. And we noticed a lot of neat things from that analysis. But one of the things that we found when we were kind of looking through the data was that many times when the kids were in what we called disbanded, right? That they like weren't exactly doing math together, that something was happening in that space because they often jumped from disbanded straight to shared. And we were like, what was that? Is that because the teacher came by and like told them to get back to it? Like what's happening there? So we dug into those interactions and saw that we're really talking about off-task activity. And then we remembered what the teachers had noticed, that like important stuff was going on when it seemed Mm -hmm. like the kids were kind of fooling around a little. And that um, we decided, okay, we got to find out what's going on when they're off task. And lo and behold, we did find that really important things were going on and that um, more often than not, the off task activity was actually supporting the collaborative dynamics. So that's kind of the origin story of it. That's like, yeah. I mean, that's like this, like, you know, um, like mind blowing sort of thing. It's like, that's what, you, you, great title, you know? <laughs> and so, and then also too, just seeing like the, what, like this, like emergent thing, like, Hey, this question, curiosity, we're looking at our, our data and we're seeing, we're going from what disbanded, which <laughs> sounds bad. Right? Right, disbanded, right. Like nothing's happened to all of a sudden this target of what you want, this shared in And I guess to back up a little bit, when you're talking about like, um, was it consolidated authority? Oh, the con- concentrated. Concentrated. So like what what might that look like just for those that haven't thought like yeah, if I'm working yeah. in a group, what is what does that concentrated authority look like? Right, right, right. So that looks like so that, you know, imagine a group of four that looks like one student. You see this a lot yeah. being the one to say like, OK, so this is what we're going to do and you're going to do this and I'm going to do that. And this is how we're going to, you know, and they're just kind of in control and yeah, everyone's yeah. sort of doing what they're saying. So kind of all the authority is on them. In Maybe terms even of, all the materials are. They and like all the materials. Yeah. Yes, you're seeing exactly. They, they're they they're kind of dominating that space. Mm-hmm. And we actually thought that we predicted that if they were to get out of disbanded, it would be through concentrated authority. It would be some kids saying, all right, guys, that's Let's enough. Let's do it. Yep. Uh-huh. We're doing this. <laughs> yeah. But it would go to shared. And so we were just like, what is this? And uh, and found that, um, you know, what was happening, and, and, and this is in the paper um, uh, where we found, we kind of went back, once we saw that it was supporting the collaboration, we went back and we were like, okay, were they trying to, you know, get their peers' attention? Were they trying to um, recruit peers into the work before they went off task? And we found that, yes, um, they were uh, nearly all of the time, these exact same bids that were successful off task were attempted through the math work. Like somebody being like, hey guys, hey guys, Hey guys, but it would fail. And then they start talking about Minecraft 
and everybody, you know, kind of their, their attention shifted to them. And then they were in and we were able to do their math contribution. Um, so yeah, so, so that was, that was, that was sort of neat. So there was, what was happening was that the off task work kind of became, uh, a secondary space to try to get attention or recruit a peer or sort of, you know, kind of bring the group together in some way or bring themselves into the group that they couldn't quite do in the math task itself. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's, that's amazing. And Cause also too, I mean, like initially when you think about, I don't know, when I was teaching high school math and I had, uh, we did things in groups. And so, you know, engaged versus disengaged, right? That was like this, like, it was almost like a, a you know, this false dichotomy of engaged versus yeah. disengaged. And so you're saying even to this like nuanced, like right. nuanced approach of like, I'm I'm putting on more sophisticated lenses in order to look at that. And, and now even to dive in further to say like, well, there's what we're calling as off-task activity has all of these functions that you have observed. And I, I just think that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And, and the fact that it was like attempted here Intended in the maths, you know, kind of we're doing some math, but then, hey, it works, you know, it worked better here. And then that got us back to this goal of having this shared authority. Exactly. Awesome. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Keep going. No, I was just I was just going to say, you know, I think all of us, whether we're, you know, little, little first graders or, you know, grownups, like there's a lot more sophistication and nuance to our social interactions that I think sometimes we realize. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, we were having a um, a conversation earlier just about, you know, because classroom management, dealing with some juniors right now, so we're thinking about classroom management. And, like, it it is, like, one is there – we're not teaching, you know, it's the cliche, not teaching math, but we're teaching students, right, teaching mm -hmm. them math. And so, like, thinking about these are human beings and, like, how right. do how do humans interact? And it's, like – it's not all, you know, get to work, punch the clock and you're grind, grind, grind. But like, you know, that, that, that off task activity leads to an interaction that then leads to something productive. Right. right? You know, yeah, and we, we yeah. see that all the time. Why can't that happen with kids? Right. So what are, um, I guess, so that's, you know, we got this article that then, then is exploring this cool space that you, you're, you're looking at, well, what, what happened here between this, uh, this disbanded, you know, no, no math going on to, to now all of a sudden we're, we're joining this goal of what we want with the, with the shared. So thinking about, well, what are some, what are some things or what are some of these functions that, that off task activity can, can have? Cause I thought this was pretty interesting. Yeah. So it wasn't always positive though. It was, it right. often was. So, so some of the things that were, um, you know, some of the more positive functions is if it happened at the very beginning of um, the task, you saw that it kind of warmed them up to collaboration, right? It was it was like these initial connections, some warming up to one another, some warming up to like the, the you know, kind of, um, um, you know, kind of before the launch and then they'd launch on task. Uh, we also found that it functioned to gain the attention of others. So, you know, they're kind of like you can see in the video, they're sort of physically out. They might not have um, the materials in front of them. They're trying to get the attention of others. The, their peers' gazes are kind of away from them. So that was one. They'd go into play and they'd be able to get their, their peers' attention. Another was um, recruiting others into the collaboration. So there'd be, you know, uh, their... There, there might be a student who's already working maybe with one other peer and they're trying to get that third to join them. Um, and so sometimes the, the off-task um, interactions would, would bring that third in. Um, 
and the opposite, gaining access to the collaboration for self. So there might be some students who are already kind of working and there's one kid who's kind of out, who's trying to contribute and trying to contribute, just can't quite get in. And so this was another way um, to, to gain access to, to the collaboration. Um, there was also um, this at times they would extend the task through off-task work. So these were inquiry units. They were often, they, they were story-based. And so sometimes things that were not necessary to the task, like for example, one of them is like a t-shirt factory. There's orders of t-shirts. So the part around like, who's going to represent the small, the medium and the large. And then they've got, you know, these sort of playful reasons for it um, and start extending the task in those kinds of ways. Uh, so, so those were some of, some of the, the functions. There were times where it was, um, you know, negative. So there were times where they thought they were done um, and they would get off task. And it wasn't until, um, you know, kind of a teacher came in and, or or another student kind of realized they weren't done. Um, and there were times that they were using off task to avoid work. Uh, they knew they had to get work done and they they were they were playing instead. So those were some of the 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 functions that we found. But yeah, but like what I like uh, you're revealing through identifying these functions, you're saying like the majority of the time they had a positive like towards this, the goal of what you wanted for the instruction, right? Does that share authority that there was a positive movement with this yeah. off task behavior? Over half the time, um, it was a positive function. And the one that I think teachers are most worried about, which is avoiding work, was only 12.5% of the time mm -hmm. did it function for that. Yeah. So I thought that was really surprising to me. Um, I, I had a sense that there was, you know, sort of more going on once you start really looking at the videos, right, you kind of see. But I was still surprised that uh, so few of the interactions were really about playing instead of working. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I think, too, the, the having that sort of um, asset-based perspective, but still being real, like, okay, well, they're, they're going to be, you know, goofing off or whatever. But then, like, the scene, like, whoa, 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 this has this function, this has this function. And, like, can you see, like, the sophistication of those functions? It's, like, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the what I thought was cool from a, uh, uh, just from looking at the article, like there's some pretty unique diagrams and things where you're talking about how students are positioned and how things change. One, I thought those were just neat the way that you uh, were able to represent or model those situations, but then also putting the transcript in there as well. And just seeing like, I mean, and we all know that. I mean, we've been to a table where, you know, you're getting the shoulder and you're on the other right. side and you know, it's like, well, I'm not in this conversation. Or, you know, when someone like you approach and someone opens up uh, to, right. to you and I'm doing it over a podcast so no one can see what I'm doing, but you know, sure. <laughs> yeah. but you exactly. know like, what that feels like. I mean, just in a, in a large group and seeing like, well, what, how do those play out within, um, within these interactions? I think it's pretty amazing as well. Right. Right. Yeah. And you definitely see that you see how as um, once they engage in, and these were very fleeting moments of play. That's like another important thing to recognize. And mm. actually the, the, the fleetingness is a signal was, a, was one of the signals as to whether it was a productive or unproductive function. We can talk a little bit more about that, but mm. certainly you would, we, we were trying to capture how, when these moments of play would happen, how it really changed the whole spatial organization. Like now they're all looking at each other, the materials start to move, um, you know, so yeah. And then of course that's going to afford 
you know, the, the collaboration to happen when the materials are in a place where everyone can reach them and they're all kind of giving each other that that bodily orientation and that gaze, um, then you're in the right orientation to 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 attend to each other and, and work together. Yeah. I want to dive more into play, but I don't want to I want to go back to that point you were you were just gonna make too. So oh if you want... yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is actually kind of it's I don't I don't think it's in this paper, but we pull this point out in the, the we have a we have a, a a paper in the um that's for for teachers in um the the Phi Delta Capin called Can Off Task Be on Track? And what we focus on there was realizing that when the off-task activity was serving this productive function. It was very, very fleeting. It was like a few seconds long, really. Like we're mm -hmm. talking like certainly like under 30 seconds, right? Like typically like, tw you know, 20 something seconds of play. And when, uh, and, and almost never did it go past a, a full minute, but when it was over a minute, this was something a little more entrenched. They either thought they were done and so they were playing or they were avoiding work. And so one of the things that we say to teachers is when you're noticing some play going on or some off-task activity to just take a beat and kind of like give it a minute, you know, give it under a minute, right? If if it's really just, you know, give it 30 seconds. Like if it's fleeting, leave them alone, right? They're, they're doing some, they're kind of figuring themselves out. If it's been a minute and they're still playing, then maybe that's the time to step in and just check uh, to see what's going on. Do they think they're done? Can you nudge them back into into work? So that was another kind of neat uh, sort of difference between the two categories of, of play. Yeah. And again, going back to us as as adults, we've done that where we've been in, you know, we've probably done that in some work that we've done together. Where it's sure. like, hey, we're going to have a joke or have a moment like, like, oh, just relax for a second. And then like, hey, back to it. Get you back know? in. Exactly. And, and like, again, and these are, and I should mention too, these are fourth graders, correct? Fourth graders. These are fourth graders. Yeah. Fourth graders and dealing with some like, you know, uh, in context, math problems where right. they are making sense of problems and persevering solving them. These aren't like simple, like, you know, got 50 on a page and have to do it. Like right. not that math. This is like, they are doing mathematics. So it's like, there is some cognitive load going on. Right. And so like, Hey, like to pick up a, a stack of, uh, you know, counters or whatever. And it's a sword and like, you know, like that's one of the interactions and like, like to yeah. say, hey, you want to sword fight? Like, and then, <laughs> but then, yeah, it goes away, right? But then and it goes so, away, yeah. But to have yeah. that, like, I don't know if it's a, uh, you know, can't got to nip that in the bud. Like, no, think about it. If you let that happen a little bit, now we're, I'm having an enjoyable experience. We're doing math. We're getting back to it. And now as being a doer of mathematics, that's a part of, you know, play is a part of that, right? And so yeah. that, what a great thing. Yeah. And even furthermore, there's like the other side of it. If you interrupt too soon, right? And it was one of these fleeting moments and it was a kid trying to get access to the collaboration, you just uh, cut off that opportunity. That kid might remain marginalized. Mm. Oh, that put a pin on that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, because you're saying like if every time this teacher is on them, nipping the button, like we're aiming for this you know, shared authority happening. Do I keep saying shared authority? It is shared authority, right? Like yeah, shared? yeah. We don't we don't talk about it that way in this paper, but yes, that is what we're talking about. I mean, yeah. so like, yeah, to like to to the, and and as you say in the like, there's uh the two like uh 
destabilizing or right. resisting domination. Like there, right. there's some things happening there, or there's introducing somebody like getting access to the collaborator, like, Hey, stop that. Like, right. we just, we've just not let it happen and we've interfered. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's yeah. That's a good one. I, and I, 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 now I know what Christy, uh, Livingston is who recommended, uh, this mm-hmm. paper, Dr. Livingston. And, uh, she, uh, and she was excited. I could see why she's excited because this is the kind of thing that I think she gets, you know, excited about. Because sometimes this idea of of letting kids operate within your classroom in a space mm-hmm. that honors them as people and as learners, like that, that's upsetting when we when we interfere mm-hmm. with that. And when you know, yes, there's we can't just let them go, you know. Right. But if like that, that they're they're making these decisions or making these moves that are actually going to help them in their development further on, on how to access social situations. Like that's why we work in groups, not to just have them be these robots. Oh yeah. yeah, This is so good. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks Joel. Yeah. Uh, um, But um, so like the, I just, but the idea of play too, like Mm -hmm. when you say, Hey, math and play, I mean, I'm a believer, but like when you say that, like what, like, how do we encourage that? Because like that, I mean, not, maybe not, uh, I guess too, like, how do you see those two ingredients mixing together? Yeah, I think, you know, play is, is, is really fundamental to life, certainly to childhood. And I think that, you know, especially at the elementary school, though, I'd say this all the way through, like, even with like our graduate students, but, but certainly at the elementary school, you know, Play is a really important part of development, and I think that there's a bit more latitude to seeing some amount of play and imagination happen, maybe in these other subject domains, but then math is like super, super serious, Mm -hmm. and I think that when we call math this different thing that's super, super serious, we're, we're kind of pulling it outside of this like realm of humanity. And it's really human to be curious and playful and exploring and wondering and talking and connecting it to life and giggling. And when we can engage in in serious math inquiry, right, really making sense of things together, there is important work going on, but we can do that and keep it in this human sphere of joy and of play that we're just sending this message that like math is part of human life. It's Mm -hmm. part of, you know, all the good things of the world, you know, it's not this like separate, super, super serious thing that we have to like kind of take, we have to, we have to take our humanity out of, and we have to kind of take it out of humanity. Like there's no need for that. So I think it's like, what the message of play intersecting with math, we could talk about it like it's more engaging. We could talk about it like it's going to increase participation, but I think it's also just saying that math is part of the human world and it should fit with joy and play and curiosity and these other things that we allow ourselves to be even at school, just not usually about math. Yeah. I remember, like uh, I had, I had a chance to teach AP calculus once and we were talking about like the different ways of, of thinking about the derivatives. Right. So, you know, the increasing and increasing rate and um, uh, 
Steve, now I'm on the spot, so I'm like forgetting some things. But anyway, the first and second derivatives, <laughs> yeah. but like modeling what that would look like because we went to the office and there was like a window that people had to go by and they had to model what the the different derivatives that could be like the different things that they were modeling. And like they had so much fun, but at, at the same time, this thing of having fun, like modeling what these actions would look like, they had they were having fun, they were playing, but then also too, it's a memorable experience as right. well. And thinking about all these, like these, these things that we think, oh, calculus must be tough. And like, like yeah. hey, we, we had a blast today, you know? Yeah, And we exactly. can have a blast every day. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah, like, again, this is great. Some great messages, Jenny. This is, this is, we're, this is a highlight here. So, um, but so now coming back, so this article was in 2020. And so mm-hmm. one thing, that I, a question that I had that came up is, because we were talking about like, what are the things happening post pandemic? And maybe like, you know, with thinking about social interactions and like, have you thought about like maybe this article and, and thinking about a post pandemic classroom spaces? Have you, have you thought about that? And, and again, I didn't, I didn't preview this one for you. So I wonder like what thoughts or ideas you had about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, we, we have been thinking about this. So the kind of work that we did with the teachers here, we've continued doing in this district Beautiful. and it's grown to a partnership with their, um, they had like a first, uh, the district's first like elementary math coach. And we were planning to do kind of very similar work. And then the pandemic hit mm. and the pandemic we did this 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 last kind of round of work totally through the pandemic and so there were a lot of adjustments and a lot of lessons learned because of those adjustments so one was um one of the things that the pandemic did was bring to the fore something that always existed but it just it just hit so hard in the pandemic which was the this question of like mental health of mm-hmm. um you know, emotional dysregulation of like fear and anxiety and just the need for emotional care and wellness for teachers and for students. And so starting with like the work that we did with with the teachers in this, we still did a lot of the similar things, really trying to understand what are your kids doing? What's fascinating about what they're doing? How can you build on that? What's hard for them? How can you support what's hard for them? And it was a lot of like um, noticing and discussing, but what we added, so so you can think about it, like we were very deliberately trying to foster teachers' curiosity about their kids and curiosity about their instructional practice. And what we added to it in a sense was um, also developing some curiosity about their own kind of emotional state while they were doing this sort of teaching work. Mm -hmm. And what we found, which I don't think is surprising at all, is that when we do really student-centered work and we don't know exactly what the kids are going to say, and we don't know exactly how we're going to respond, it can cause some anxiety. And teachers noticing that anxiety and kind of learning to sit with it and lean into their curiosity and giving themselves some grace was like a breakthrough experience in really leaning into this work. So that was kind of one of it, one of them. The other thing that we found was that curiosity itself was like really mitigating fear and anxiety and and stress and kind of hard feelings. And so they wanted to cultivate curiosity in their classrooms in a really big and intentional way. And so some of the changes that happened, you know, it's, it was, um, 
you know, teachers being really intentional about um, creating very curious classrooms. Um, and there was also this part around like that, you know, where, whereas this group of teachers really noticed what you could say sort of like the earnestness of their students, th this cohort, you know, in the pandemic was also certainly really noticing the earnestness of their students, but they were additionally recognizing just the importance of giving grace. Mm -hmm. And so these were teachers who were also responding to that earnestness through like, really reflecting on, on, on some important supports, but then also kind of like doubling down on, on offering grace to their students. And so I think that it's one of the good things that has come out of it is just really thinking about these other dimensions of what it means to humanize the classroom, mm -hmm. how curiosity could play into it, how emotional awareness can play into it, how, you know, responsiveness, not through just supports, but also through grace and making that okay, uh, were some of the things that kind of came out in the in the in, in in doing this kind of work in the pandemic. And did you have like I guess you know because you're working with these teachers, did you have teachers like then looking back at their own their own because um, you kind of look at a student moves? So you, did teachers look back at their own moves and be like, "Oh shoot, I intervened when I should have stepped back." I inter like did they get more sophisticated in their um, practices? I don't know if that was it's that's outside the scope of what you were looking at. Yeah. Definitely. Are you talking about the, the teachers in the original study? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Uh, so this gets to um, what is it that they did in their classroom? Because that's not in this paper at all. It's like totally focused on what the kids were doing. But part of what Kate, so, so yes, they noticed the earnestness. Yes, they looked back and they're like, oh gosh, I stepped in when I shouldn't have. But they also recognized like the reason they did was like they were trying to help their kids learn how to collaborate, right? Yeah, like it was yeah. like for good reason. Mm -hmm. So when they were really paying attention to what the students were doing, they not only saw all of their students' good and important efforts, they also saw what was so hard. And they saw, man, collaboration's really hard. It is not obvious at all how to do this. It's not obvious that you're supposed to att pay attention to one another. It's not obvious what to say to one another. Mm -hmm. It's not obvious. And so they responded in different ways, um, uh, but I'll say two ways because these two these two classrooms ended up being really transformative. One was that one uh, one teacher um, decided that she really wanted to bring her kids into conversation around what does it look like and sound like to be in a productive partnership. Mm -hmm. And so she would say, you know, what does it mean to be productive? Okay, you know, kind of get on the on the same page about that. What does it look if we want it like what what does it look like? How might we sit together? And they like, well, we'd sit in front of each other, facing each other, or we'd sit side by side so we can look at the materials, right? Um, you know, what might it sound like if you uh disagree? What might you try? So it was like all of these reflective conversations where they were like thinking about what does it look like? What does it sound like? And then she would say, Okay, go off and try it. Then they would come back at the end, right, for like the closing activity. And in addition to kind of closing the math, she would also say, so who had a uh, who had some difficult partnerships? What was difficult? Let's talk about it. Who had some good partnerships, that, some tips you can you can offer? And so they learned to become kind of owners of the collaborative pro uh, process and really thinking about this is what I do with my body. This is what I do with my words. This is how to like repair, you know, disagreement. The other teacher was a first grade teacher and what she decided to do, because she was trying to support the, the, these young students, like 
attending to each other, building on one another, and kind of mutually recognizing each other. So she taught them how to peer revoice. And she would teach, she kind of taught, taught them the frame of like the first partner explains what they did. And then the second partner would say, so I hear you say, hmm, is that right? And they would practice it and they would practice it and she would model it. And then they'd go off into their, into their partnerships and took this up, became really, really, you know, kind of fluent at it. And so these were ways that the, you know, so, so kind of like, it was like a two pronged approach where they were noticing ways to sort of step back, lean back, recognize the earnestness of their students, recognize some of the messiness is okay and even good, and that they don't have to even be hard on themselves as teachers, that it's a bit noisy and messy and some play and imagination is going on, but also recognizing that they did need some explicit supports on how to collaborate, like how, what in the world to do with each other. Um, so it was kind of like both of those going on. Yeah. Well, and think about the, stru- I mean, just providing first graders a little structure and then getting to see that in action. Like, and some of the people that have first graders are like, that'd be amazing. <laughs> you know? yeah. And, but yeah, but like giving them the support and, and again, like you said, humanizing the classroom and saying, well, yeah, you, you need to learn how to do that. Like, let's, let's go ahead and, and provide some instruction. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you do see in this first grade classroom, we're actually writing up about the first grade classroom as, as a, a particularly like case that sort of popped up in, in some of the things we were looking at. And it was such an important routine. And you see these young kids become really, really fluent at it and just go right into their partnerships and just be like, so I hear you say, you know, that, you know, you you made an eight because by putting five beads together and, and three beads together, is that right? Or they'd say like, I hear you. Wait, um, can you repeat? Right. And then they would repeat. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, and it was just like, really beautiful mutual joint thinking and turn taking and and recognition and one of the powerful things in particular about peer revoicing is the nature of it is one where not only do both kids kind of have a, a way to participate yes sure but also the act of revoicing kind of sends the signal that your ideas are worthy of my consideration mm, and we happen yes. to catch this moment in video um where they're at the carpet and there's this one young, you know, one student who's kind of sitting on, on, on the teacher and says to her just how good it felt to be heard. And so the teacher kind of turns around and says, I want to stop, you know, here, you know, he's, he just mentioned like how good it felt to be heard. If you agree and you think it feels really good to be heard by your teacher, you know, go like this. And they're sort of like, kind of like, yeah. a, I know what is this, like the hang super, 10, the, yeah, the yeah. Hang yeah. 10. Yeah. and you see them all kind of doing the hang 10. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was that was an important one that peer revoicing routine yeah uh, that's that's yeah that's amazing. i mean we've heard that we've been doing some uh podcasts on like these moments of um growth of professional growth and like they and before we get into that they to talk about teachers and like mention these teachers from their past and they talk about this teacher saw me you know so being mm-hmm. able to be heard or be seen like i mean that, that just like to see you who as who you are as like someone that well again going back to the idea of humanizing the math classroom i think is yeah. that's awesome um what cautions do you have about folks taking this work out of context yeah i mean definitely i think one of the cautions is this idea that like the implication is that anything goes <laughs> yeah. um 
right? There, there's, there's a threshold, right? Yeah. Of, 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 said um, so. He just, yeah, right? yeah. Like, just let it. Just this let is it go. awesome. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So there's like, there's like, uh, but, the, but that, I think that does come to that, that question around like, you know, at what point, like mm-hmm. how much do you lean back and what point do you, do you lean in? And also the part that, you know, when you think about the, the finding that these were this, these, these off task activity came out of sort of failed bids for attention or yeah. failed bids to like join the collaboration that it's, it's, yes, it's like, um, normal, good, sophisticated, you know, kind of human action to find another way, but it also highlights that they were, you know, kind of struggling to, um, get into the collaboration or recruit their peers or whatnot through the math. So it, it does highlight that those supports on like, you know, ideally you'd imagine that you're trying to reduce the need for um, students to kind of go through this other vehicle to, to be able to engage with, with their peers. And it does kind of highlight, well, you do want to be attending to some really good supports for the kinds of interactions that you're envisioning for your students that you're hoping that your students have. So I guess the caution would be, um, this doesn't mean they don't need supports. They de- certainly do. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean that it that the what we're advocating is like this total free for all, but it is trying to say that in a space where students are, are are, are struggling to collaborate. And even if they know how to do it, it's, you know, dealing with other humans is always, you know, going to include struggle that this is kind of a part of that landscape and that it's okay to be a part of that landscape. In fact, it's important. Um, so it's, it's, and I think it's also humanizing the work of teachers too, because I think a lot of teachers feel this pressure to like run this very tight ship yeah. uh, to the point that it's not even like, um, kind of messy humans in the room, right? That it's, and, and that's a lot to take on with one kid, let alone 30. Yeah. So, yeah. One of the fact that it's communicated a need, I think we, you know, we look at that with regards to, you know, mm-hmm. behavior management and and, yeah. whatever. and like, Hey, like this kid that might be off task and traditionally might be like, well, you're being off task and, and might get a punishment and what it versus like, mm-hmm. no, they're communicating need. They're trying, they've been trying yeah. to engage. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so that's, this is great. This is, this is, uh, I, I love this article. Um, yeah. so I, I appreciate your time. Uh, this is so great, but, uh, I wanted to given your experience teacher, uh, both in practice and through your research and, and I do thank you for, sh- I mean, this is, I, I love the, uh, I'm going to share this with my doctoral students too, is just seeing how you're talking about all these different offshoots of interest, you know, like these interesting things that came up and that you get to investigate from, from these projects that just keeps, I mean, that, that kind of shows you how these things kind of grow and grow. And so thank you for sharing that. But yeah, given yeah. all that, your experience, both as a teacher in your practice and through your research, uh, what is the best thing that you have learned to help you teach better? Yeah, I, I, I know we've been talking a bit about this already, but really it's been the thing that lands, you know, over and over and just kind of deepens over, over time for me, which is just really the pedagogical importance of, of humanizing your students. Like mm-hmm. students come into the classroom, whether they're kids or adults, wanting to be known and recognized and valued and believed. And sometimes they come into the classroom on particular hard days or particularly hard like life chapters, and yeah. they really don't want to be seen. Like they want to hide. It's too vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And giving students kind of both that recognition and that grace, kind of letting them be in a space where you're giving them a learning journey um, and you're also being flexible and you're also fostering connections. I think that 
really matters. And it's actually one of the things that I love about collaboration and collaborative learning, because it's a chance for students to talk and connect and reflect and explore. And there's just so many opportunities to contribute and usually like many different ways to contribute. So it kind of creates more space for people to come in and be seen and be heard and be feel like they're they're a part of something. Um, but it also means that your classroom needs to be safe enough to be vulnerable and like to be real and and to and to connect. And so I think that part of that mission of like how do you really humanize your students and make space for them. It's also like creating the conditions where that feels okay. And so creating this culture of like openness and curiosity and grace, I think is a big part of it. Love it. I love it. That's great. Uh, again, appreciate your time, Jenny. I appreciate uh, your work and I, the, your colleagues that uh, did the work with you. Like I just, and, and again, I'm, there's continued work that comes out there. So we'll put a, a link uh, to the articles that people want to check them out in the show notes. And um, yeah, just appreciate you, your time awesome. and and, and the you. messages you had to share. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun talking about this and, and about teaching and just seeing you, Joel. And so thank you for this. It was great. Yeah. All right. So the question now is how many of my courses do I add this article that Jenny talked about to the reading list or any, even some of the other articles that she mentioned. I mean, there's a lot of things that get pushed on in with regards to, you think about classroom management, about what makes, what look, what is a good, uh, an engaged math group look like and what kind of behaviors are we encouraging? What kind of behaviors are we allowing that to get to that place of having that shared authority over who's doing the mathematics and to think about how many times maybe I've nipped something in the bud because I thought I was being great at classroom management when I actually I was not allowing my students to be human and my students to come back to that engagement that I am looking for. Yeah, lots of thoughts, lots of thoughts. And just, again, thankful for Jenny for being willing to come on and share her time and expertise. Um, thankful for Christy for reaching out and saying, hey, this is an awesome article. You should have... Uh, Jenny on and I'm like yeah you're right and so <laughs> that's what I love I love that's what ah, that's what I love doing the podcast and the having this uh, little community where we get we're all learning how to teach better we are a, a group learning how to teach better and so I'm just so thankful so for those of you looking for ways to support the podcast you can do what Christy did and send me an email to joel at amazonplanet.com and say hey here's someone that's interesting here's someone we, we've had <laughs> we've had folks from uh, Rob Harvilla to Andy Weir to Stanford education professors fantastic let's keep let's keep adding to the list of folks that we have come on to learn to talk about learning how to teach better. So you can send me uh, something to the mailbag at joelandamadonplanet.com, uh, comments, suggestions, questions, and you know maybe if it's just a question, we could find somebody to figure out an answer for it. That's That would be awesome. So again, joelandamadonplanet.com, love getting stuff to the mailbag and love getting to respond to it either through a podcast episode or through uh, maybe some answering some questions at the end of a podcast. Just love it. So anyway, any sort of interaction, that's great. Also on Spotify, they have this question and answer thing where I asked a question after each episode now where it's like, how did you learn how to teach better through this episode? And so interested near that. Maybe you don't want to do that through the Spotify platform and you just want to send that in an email to the mailbag. That'd be great too. Again, joel and amadonplanet.com. 
You can also subscribe, rate, and review, and share this episode from wherever you get this podcast. That would be great as well. Uh, and anyway, also, too, every time that you subscribe, that gets subscribe, share, rate, review, whatever. Whenever you take actions on this episode, that gets it noticed a little bit more. That might get it someone's feed where someone that needs to hear the message, like think about the messages that were heard in this episode. If someone needs to hear those episode, those messages, how can you share it with them so that they can hear about the brilliance of, of Jenny's work? And then maybe that might influence their teaching. It might influence them, their, just uh, their, their teaching or even their interactions with their coworkers or their children or whatever. So anyway, whenever you do that, subscribe, rate, or review, uh, or share the podcast. That's bringing some attention, and we just thank you for every every time you do that. You can also uh, follow at Amazon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amazon Planet Facebook page. In addition, another way to support is to go and subscribe to the Amazon Planet download, which contains teaching resources and updates from Amazon Planet. Um, you can do that at any at, at the um, Amazon Planet uh, website, where there's a, a bunch of buttons for joining the email list. And finally, you can check out the Amazon Planet store, Amazon Planet Bookshop. I've seen folks been uh, buying a few books there. Pre- appreciate it because uh, any proceeds from those purchases go to support the production cost of the podcast. Links to those stores, so the Amazon Planet Bookshop and Amazon Planet store, can be found in the footer. So you go all the way to the bottom at Amazon Planet. Appreciate that. So finally, thank you for spending time on Amazon Planet. Thanks to Jenny Osuna for sharing her time and expertise. Thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there for learning to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use gifts you have been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.